0: I'd like everybody to take a Bible and let's open it together in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you would please. 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you didn't bring a copy of the Bible, we have a copy that you can borrow right on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 218 to begin. Page 218 in our copy of the Bible or 2 Samuel chapter 6 in your copy of the Bible. You know, several weeks ago, there was a very interesting article in USA Today about the first law clerk with a visible disability ever to be hired by the United States Supreme Court. His name is Adam Sameha. He's 28 years old and he suffers from dystonia. Dystonia is a hereditary neurological disorder that causes uncontrolled muscle spasms. And it said in the article that his head spasms are so severe that it's difficult for him to keep his head still long enough to even have a picture taken. He also said in the article that it's hard for him to even walk down the hall alone unassisted. And yet, this young man finished number one in his Harvard Law School class, the class of 1996. It was a wonderful article about how this young man has struggled against and overcome his disabilities and where he is today. Uh, But there was a very interesting comment in the article that caught my attention, not by this young man, but by his father. And this is what his father said. Listen, and I quote, he said, Adam is very laid back about his disability and never complains much. He, Adam, is much less bitter and resentful about it than I am. He's less bitter and resentful about it than I am. And you know, as I read that article, I got to thinking, I understand where this dad's coming from because we live in a world with tremendous heartache and a world with tremendous pain and suffering. And as as Adam's dad has reminded us, pain and suffering is the perfect petri dish to grow bitterness, the perfect petri dish to grow resentment. And that's not just true for non-Christians. That's true for us as Christians as well. And yet, into the face of all of this flies the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, that says, Rejoice always, and again I say, rejoice. Now, here's the question. How can you and I as Christians, living in the kind of world that we live in, full of pain and heartache and tough times and suffering, how can we possibly do as Christians, <clears throat> what God is asking us to do in Philippians chapter four. How can we possibly rejoice always? How can we do that? Well that's what we want to talk about today. And we want to use an example out of the life of King David to set a backdrop for us to answer that question. So let's look here in first in, in second Samuel rather uh chapter six. A little bit of background. Remember David wants to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem And he wants to build a marvelous temple there for the ark. He tried the first time, and the first time was a disaster. And now, three months later, he's going to go back and he's going to try again. So let's pick up the story. Uh, Verse 12. Now, King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. That's where they had left the ark. So David went down and brought the ark of God up from there to the city of David with rejoicing. Verse 13. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, David stopped right there and sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. You remember the problem the first time? is that God had given very clear instructions about how you move the ark. You put it on poles, you lift it up, and you carry it on your shoulder. But instead, David decided to put it on an ox cart, and when it began to fall off and one man reached up to catch it, God struck him dead. You remember the problem. Well, now three months later, David goes back, and this time he does it right. Notice verse 13 says, when those who were carrying the ark, they did it right this time. And so he had the priests and the Levites walk six steps, and then they stopped. And God hadn't killed anybody yet, so they had an offering. said, oh, that's wonderful, we made it six steps. And then they walked six more steps, and God hadn't killed anybody yet. And so David said, wow, I think we can make it. And off they went to Jerusalem with the ark. And everybody was excited. Uh, Verse 14, and David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all of his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord up with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, verse 14 is a verse that half the churches in America would like to take out of the Bible. Dancing, David, dancing, the, the man after God's own heart, dancing. Well, here it is, big as life, go to war, Aunt Agnes, man, it's right here. He said, well, Lon, what kind of dancing was he doing? I don't know, Bible doesn't say. Um, I don't think it was the Viennese Waltz, but I can't be sure what it was. Don't know what he was doing. You fill that in for yourself. But he was so carried away and rejoicing what God was doing that he just took off his outer garment and started to dance. Well, verse 17, and they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place in Jerusalem. And David sacrificed offerings there and he worshiped the Lord. And after he would finished doing that, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Verse 19. And then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to everybody in the crowd. And then when it was over, everybody at the end of the day was happy. Well, almost everybody. Verse 20, And David returned home to bless his household. And Michael, his wife, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Just robing in front of all the slave girls like any vulgar fellow would. I mean, what a party pooper. Now here David is thrilled, excited. The ark has arrived. He comes home to bless his family, and this girl comes out with sarcasm so thick you could cut it with a knife. I mean, talk about an unhappy camper, and she says to him, What's wrong with you? Are you crazy? You're out there dancing with your outer garment off like a like a like a nutcase in the streets of Jerusalem. Some king you are. Yeah, you, you know, some nobility you have. Well, I like the fact that David didn't let her negative attitude carry the day. He says to her in verse 21, he said, it was before the Lord that I was rejoicing. You hear that? It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father to be king. Ooh. <laughs> A little bit of goes both ways here. It was before the Lord... That I was rejoicing, he said, and I will become, verse 23, uh, verse 22, rather, even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. He says, listen, woman, if if what it takes to rejoice before God is that I have to humble myself, if what it takes to rejoice before God is that I have to humiliate myself, I don't care about doing that. No problemo. And I'll do it again if I want. Verse 23. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I'm assuming the reason she didn't have any children is that David was never intimate with her again for the rest of her life. Uh, It seems to me that was probably David's way of punishing her for her attitude, since to be barren was was really the, 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 the greatest stigma that a Jewish woman could have in those days. David said, oh yeah? Well, I'll get you back. And she remained bare in the rest of her life. You said, Lon, it sounds to me like these two people needed a marriage counselor. You no, know, folks, these two people needed a referee. That's what they needed. And that's where this passage ends. But it leads us to ask the really important question. And you know what the really important question is. What is it? Did you do it? Well, I'm not sure. Let's try it again. What is it? All right. I heard it that time. That's great. You say, Lon. That's wonderful. Glad the ark got to Jerusalem. Good deal. Feel sorry for Michael, you know, but, but really this doesn't have a thing to do with my everyday life. Big whoop. So what? Well, I think this does. I think it sets a backdrop for us to talk about something that has everything to do with our everyday lives. So let's see if we can do that. You know, there was an old 60s song called Dancing in the Street. And I got to thinking, what would it take to drive the average person out to dance in the street? I mean, what would it take for you to go down to Georgetown and dance in the street? What would it take for you to do that? Maybe, um, well, maybe you'd do it at your wedding. You think? Maybe. Maybe uh, you would do it at your son's wedding. You know, go down there and dance and go, hallelujah, somebody else gets to pick up after him. Oh, praise God. (laughs) At least one person agrees. Okay. Uh, maybe you would do it after the birth of a healthy baby. Now, there's a good reason to go dance in the street. What if, would you dance in the street if the stock market went up a thousand points in one day? I'm getting close now, aren't I? Would, would you go down and dance in the street if they canceled school for the rest of the year? All right. <laughs> Would you go down and dance in the street If the Redskins won the Super Bowl Yeah, now there's one Keep your, keep your dancing shoes and mothballs, friends That is not happening anytime soon but did you notice one thing that, that we have in common, that all of these things have in common? There was one thing, did you notice it? They were all good things. Did you notice that? The birth of a healthy baby, a marriage, the stock market going up. These are all beneficial, wonderful things. That's why David was out there dancing, because he was bringing the ark to Jerusalem. What a wonderful thing. And that's well, and that's good, but listen to what Philippians chapter 4 says. It says, rejoice always. Not just when human circumstances are going well, not just when you're bringing the ark to Jerusalem and everything's peachy keen, but even when things are not peachy keen, rejoice. Now, this is the real challenge, isn't it? Because most days are not peachy keen. I don't know about your days, but most of my days are just not peachy keen sort of days. And you say, elon you're right. My days aren't that way. So... Please don't stand up there and just pontificate on about rejoicing. If you want to be some real help, Lon, tell me how. How I can have this joy that God calls me to have when I have all the problems that I have in my life. That's exactly what I want to do. Let's see if we can do that. You know, the joy that God calls us to have in the Bible is different than human happiness. Human happiness is based on circumstances. Things go really good, you're happy. Things go really bad, you're unhappy. Is anything wrong with that? No, that's just the way normal human emotions go. It's interesting when you look in the Bible, God never tells us to be happy about anything. God never calls us to be happy because God knows that goes and floats with your circumstances. What God calls us to, friends, is to a joy, a rejoicing that has a supernatural component. The thing that God is talking about here is not human happiness. It is a supernatural peace, a supernatural inner calm, a supernatural inner tranquility that we can have in the worst of human circumstances. God is calling us to 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 uh, to like stand at the eye of the hurricane. And when everything around us is an absolute chaos, things where we are, there's peace, there's tranquility. I mean, you can't be happy about everything. Who wakes up in, in, in the morning with the flu and goes, oh, praise God, I have the flu. Anybody in their right mind do that? How about after somebody hits your car? You know, you get out of the car and you go, oh, praise God, I had an accident, oh, I'm so excited. I've had a bunch of them and I've never gotten out the car like that, never. After there's a tragedy in your family, God does, that's not what God's asking you to do. What God is asking is for us to be people who rejoice and have this inner sense of peace and tranquility like standing at the eye of Hurricane Mitch while everything around us is in utter chaos where we are, it's calm. Now, may I remind you when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter where he was when he wrote Philippians? Can I remind you where he was? He's in jail in Rome chained up 24 hours a day, confined under a a severe penalty, a threat of having his head cut off for his faith, which eventually did happen. He was executed and helpless to stop the action of false teachers who were out there damaging the very churches he had given his life to build. When he wrote the letter, that's where he was. And yet listen to what he says in the letter over and over again, he says that he's rejoicing And in Philippians 4, when he says, rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, he's inviting you and me as Christians in to follow his example. And he's saying, you guys can have joy no matter what your circumstances are. May I say to you, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ in a personal way as your Savior, that what you get when you get connected to Jesus Christ, is you don't just get heaven and you don't just get forgiveness of sin. There's a lot more to it than that. You also get the resources to make it in this world. And one of the resources we need in this world is the ability to face tragedy and heartache and tough situations and stay calm and stay peaceful and not lose our mind. And that's one of the things God offers us, a supernatural peace and joy. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I'll tell you, I'll challenge you. You will never find this in our world because it's a supernatural thing. You can only find it in a connectedness with the living God. And I hope you'll think about that. But for those of us who are Christians, you might say, Lon, I understand this is what God wants me to have. But you missed the whole point, son. You still haven't answered the question, how? How can I have this? Well, I want you to turn with me to Philippians 4 and let's look and see what Paul says. Philippians chapter 4. Page uh, 832, if you're using our copy of the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, page 832. Look what Paul says. Verse 4. He says, rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. Ah, but did you notice we left out a very important phrase? Look what he says. He says, rejoice always. In your circumstances, always. No, he doesn't say that. He said rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, the Bible is telling us that the way we get this joy and this peace and this supernatural calm is not by focusing on our circumstances. You'll never get it that way. The way we get it is we get it by focusing on the Lord and focusing on the promises that he has made us regarding the circumstances of life. And that's how we can sustain an attitude of tranquility and joy, even through the worst of life's moments. Now, there are three promises that God makes to us as Christians are all right here in this book that I want to share with you in closing. Three things about the circumstances of our everyday life that God promises us that he wants us to focus on. And he says, when you do, you'll be able to have joy no matter what you're going through. Let's look at those three promises. Number one, promise number one is found right here in the next verse. Let your, gentleness, let your gentleness be evident to all. Verse five, the Lord is near. The first promise that God makes us about our circumstances is that the Lord is near me in everything I go through. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me. And you see, friends, this is the promise. This is the comfort that God has given to his people in every age to calm their fears and to bring joy to their life, even in tough times to Abraham. He said, Genesis 26, fear not. I am with you to Moses at the burning bush. He said, Moses, don't be afraid to go back to Egypt and do what I tell you, because I will be with you to Joshua. As he was getting ready to cross into the promised land, God said, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Do not be terrified or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. To Gideon, he said, Gideon, don't be afraid to go into battle. Surely, I will be with you. To Isaiah, Isaiah 43, he said, when you pass through the deep waters, do not fear, for I will be with you. And to us, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And Jesus said, as a result of that, you can go on and say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And Jesus said, as a result of that, you can go on and say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. You see, friends, Jesus' promise that He's near us, that He knows exactly what we're going through, that we're not in this thing by ourselves, is what calms our fears and soothes our anxieties and allows us to have joy even in the most chaotic times. Elton John wrote and sang a song called Candle in the Wind. Many of you know it. It's about the tragic life of Marilyn Monroe. And the chorus goes like this. It seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind, never knowing who to cling to when the rains came in. Now, I'm not an expert on Marilyn Monroe. But from what I know about her life, it doesn't seem to me that Marilyn Monroe had a lot of joy in her life. Does it seem that way to you? I mean, most people don't commit suicide because they're just overflowing with joy and inner peace. And I can tell you why she didn't have it. She didn't have it because when you feel alone, when you feel like a candle in the wind, when you feel like there's nobody to cling to and nobody to walk with you through life's tough times, folks, feeling alone is the worst feeling in the entire universe. You want to be, feel insecure, feel alone. I have found in 28 years of being a Christian that it's possible to have joy and inner peace in the midst of the most challenging circumstances by reminding myself that Jesus Christ is right there with me. And that I'm not alone. I'm not by myself. I have found that you can stand in an emergency room at 3 a.m. in the morning While six doctors work an ambu bag over your little girl trying to get her to breathe again after a seizure. I found that you can stand there not knowing whether she's going to live or die and being forced out of the room where you can't even see what they're doing. You're standing out by yourself in the hallway. And I found it's possible to have peace and tranquility standing in that emergency room, Brenda and me. Because I realized it wasn't just Brenda and me standing there. It was Brenda and me and the Lord Jesus with his arm around us in the emergency room. I found that you can sit at the deathbed of your father. My dad had given his life to Christ, which was a wonderful comfort, but I found you could sit at the deathbed of your father and you could watch your father's life slowly ebb away and there could be tranquility in your heart because you realize that Jesus Christ is sitting right there with you, holding your hand. I have found that you can come to a strange church like I did 18 years ago, hardly knowing anybody, and not be afraid because you know you're not going there by yourself. Jesus is going with you. I found that you can face a congregational vote like I did in 1991, knowing that you could very easily lose your job based on how that vote went, and yet face it without fear because you know whether you kept your job or you lost it, Jesus was still going to be with you. And I found that you can walk into the Fairfax County Planning Commission, all sitting behind that big old bench where you can barely see their head, and talk to them about a controversial plan that we have, And someone asked me after that, weren't you afraid? Weren't you nervous? And I said, well, not really, because it wasn't just me standing at the lectern talking to them. It was me and Jesus Christ standing there. There's huge power in knowing that you and I are not alone, but that the Lord is near. Right there with us. And that brings tranquility in the worst hurricane, friends, knowing it's you and Jesus together second thing God promises us about our circumstances is not only that He's near, but also that He's our partner. Look what he says here in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, that's easy for you to say, Paul. No, Paul says, I'll tell you what to do in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible is inviting us here to bring every one of our problems, every one of our cares, every one of our struggles to God and to make a trade. We trade in our problems and God trades back the peace of God. What a wonderful trade. We trade in our troubles and our burdens and He gives us back the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension. God says, look... I'll put my shoulder to the plow and I'll push with you. We'll be partners. You take some of that burden and transfer it and put it on my shoulders and I'll carry it for you. And we'll do this together. You don't have to push that plow all by yourself. I'll help you. I'll help you. And that's why I love what uh, what Peter says. First Peter chapter 5 verse 7. He says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares he cares for you. He cares for you. And he's willing to be your partner. I love the song that says, all your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat. Leave it there. Leave it there. Never a burden he will not bear. Never a friend like Jesus. You know, a few years ago, I was deer hunting and I had the opportunity. I shot shot this beautiful rack buck. Ten points. And um, he ran down this, this hill before I was finally able to put him down three, four hundred yards down this very steep incline. And I had to go down there and get him. So I went down there. I strapped a rope around his antlers. And I started put my rifle on my shoulder. And I started walking back uphill dragging this deer. He weighed about 130, 140 pounds. Now, I, I go to the gym regularly. I'm a beast. And I know you feel that way. And I appreciate that. And God bless you for feeling that way. Uh, But I want to tell you, by the time I got about a third of the way up that hill, I was whooped, buddy. I was whooped, and there was no way I was going to drag that deer anymore. I even said, I don't care about these antlers no more. I can't drag this deer. This is one heavy deer. And I had some friends there with me and one of them came by and saw me and came down and he said, Let me help you. And he got inside this rope with me and the two of us had the rope around our waist together. And together, arm in arm, we put our arms around each other. And the two of us pulled this deer up to the road where we needed to get it. Man, I can't tell you how wonderful a feeling it is for somebody to jump inside a rope with you, put their arm around you and say, We're going to pull together. Come on, we can do it together. And friend, what the Bible is telling you is that God is willing to jump inside your rope and he's willing to help you pull whatever deer you got to pull, wherever you need to pull it. He wants to be your partner. All you got to do is open up and believe him and let him. He'd love to be your partner and he'll trade you that deer for the peace of God. If you'll let him third and final promise that God gives us. Is not only is he near and not only is he willing to be our partner, but third and finally, and really most important, he's in control, utter, complete control of every event in your life. Remember what I said to you about Paul, that he was in jail, he was out of circulation, he was facing possible execution, he was chained up. Now, in those days, they didn't chain you to a wall, they chained you to a Roman soldier, So he was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Now think about that for a second. How would you like to be an unbelieving Roman soldier and be chained to the Apostle Paul for eight hours? Can you imagine that duty? You got Paul for eight hours and you can't shut him up. And this was the elite Praetorian guard, the, the personal bodyguard of Caesar, who were guarding him. He was in prison. And yet I want you to see what he says. Flip over to chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. He says in verse um, 18, I rejoice, he says, "and, and I'm going to continue to rejoice. Why, Paul? Why? Well, look, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You say, now, how in the world could it possibly serve to advance the gospel to have you in jail, chained up and out of circulation? Oh, he's going to tell you. Verse 13. He said, as a result of me being in jail, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard about Jesus Christ. How did it become clear throughout the whole palace guard? I'll tell you, because they all had to do eight hour shifts on Paul. That's how it became clear. And they all heard about Jesus Christ. Paul said, there is no way the elite Praetorian guard of the Caesar would have ever heard the gospel if God hadn't sent me here and made them be chained up to me for eight hours at a time. And more than that, he says, verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord, fellow Christians, have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. Paul said, you know, because I've been chained up, I haven't been out there being able to speak for Christ. And so other people who maybe would have sat back and said, well, just let Paul do it, can't do that anymore. And my being in jail has propelled them and empowered them for them to start speaking. And so now we've got more people speaking than would have ever been speaking if I'd have been out and free. They'd have said, well, just wait, just wait till Paul gets here. And so back to verse 12, Paul says, because of that, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As I look around, Paul says, I see that God's in total control. As I look around, I see that my circumstances have been in his hands all the time. As I look around, Paul says, I see how God has used my circumstances for good. And that's God's promise. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. For those of us who are Christians, man, I'm I'm sure glad that promise says all. See, it's no good to me if it says many. Many things doesn't cover everything I need. Uh, Most things is not good enough. I'm sure glad that promise doesn't say just about everything or almost all things. That's not good enough. I need it to read just the way it reads. All things, all things work together for good. So you mean a car accident? Well, does a car accident fall under the definition of all things? Yeah, then all things work together for good. Alon, uh, how about uh, if I lose my job? Well, th- does that fall under all things? Yeah, well then, it's working together for good. How about my the fact my, my, my boyfriend dumped me? Well, friends, actually, most of your friends are rejoicing because he's a chump anyway, but... But yeah, that falls under all things, yeah. How about the Fairfax County bureaucracy? Does that fall under all things? Just barely. Just barely. How about having a disabled daughter? Does that fall under all things? Yeah, it does. And friends, if God's promise is all things work together for good... If that's true, then may I ask you, what's keeping you from rejoicing, if that's true? Why aren't you rejoicing? If all things in your life are working together for good, what's keeping you from having joy? Well, I know when when I don't have joy in my life, I know what keeps me from having it. You want to know what it is? Very simple. I'm not believing what God tells me. I'm doubting what God tells me. I look up and I say, how in the world could this possibly be working out for good? Now, it's tough to rejoice when that's how you're feeling. And I'll tell you where God has to bring me every time is right around to Romans 8.28. Lon, all things work together for good. Now, you've got two choices, friend. You can believe me, and if you do, I'll give you the supernatural peace of God that passes understanding, or you can doubt me. And if you doubt me, you're going to live in the quagmire of bitterness and resentment and anger. So the ball's in your court, son. But if you trust me, you're going to like life a lot better. Friends, I would say the same thing's true of you. If, you don't able, if you're not able to rejoice right where you are right now, I can tell you the reason is only one. You just not believe in what God tells you. you got to believe what He tells you. That He's near that he's going to get inside the rope and help you pull that deer uphill. And number three, everything in your life right now is working together for good. And you say, but I can't see it. Well, my friends, God never said you had to. You just got to trust him. William Barclay, the famous commentator, said Christian joy is independent of all things on earth. What that means is, Christian joy has nothing to do with how your circumstances are going. You can have it when your circumstances are good. You can have it when your circumstances are awful. It doesn't matter. It's based on focusing on the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And based on focusing on what He promises you about your circumstances. And I hope as a result of being here today and learning from the Word of God, it's going to change the way you live tomorrow. Change the way you react to life because you heard the Word of God today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank You for reminding us today that the peace of God that we're talking about does not come from the power of positive thinking. It doesn't come from psychobabble. It comes as a supernatural thing that You give, a supernatural gift You award to us when we're willing to focus on You and trust You. And God, for people here today who are struggling with their job, with their finances, with their health, with other tragedies and tough things in life. My prayer is, God, that you would help all of us today to remember that you're near. We're not in this alone. That you're right here with your arm around our shoulder. And that you're pulling this deer with us. We're not pulling this deer by ourselves. And the third and finally, you are in utter, absolute control of every detail of our life. And all things work together for good. Lord Jesus, help us believe that. And replace our bitterness, our anger, our disappointment with the sweet peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension. Lord, may we be able to stand at the middle of our hurricane. And may we be at peace. Bring this to pass in our lives, I pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.